on 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton and an absolute privilege to have a chat uh, to Professor Bruce Robinson. He is a, a man who has done a whole lot of work in the field of cancer and caring for people, but has led to a most fascinating area of interest for him and a, a part that he is really focusing on with the Fathering Project. Bruce, thanks so much for your time. Good to be here, mate. Uh, maybe we'll start a little bit with the uh, medical side of who you are and, and, and what you, you sort of experience, because we want to spend the majority of our time talking around the Fathering Project and the work and the heart you've got there. But it sort of came from that medical side of things, didn't it? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I'm a, so I've trained uh, here in Perth and also in England and in, in the United States as a lung specialist. So I look after patients that have lung diseases um, and have done so for many years. And so they sit in my office. So lung cancer is the commonest lethal cancer. So you can imagine how many times I've had to sit there and tell people they're going to die. Um, and I'm the first guy to do it, right? So this isn't palliative care or oncology where they already know the diagnosis. I'm the one that sits there as, you know, say a bloke hold hand, holds hands with his wife to get the results of the test. I've done that hundreds of times. And it was from those experiences. And they're, you know, imagine they're deeply poignant experiences. Imagine if it was you sitting there waiting to get the news that you got six months to live. Um, they're very intimate experiences for a doctor. And I take, I make a, like a serious effort to make it a, a kind experience. And I also uh, continue with them on the journey till they die. I don't then handball them on to somebody else. Consequently, they've talked to me a lot about life, their regrets. And the commonest regret for men, of course, was that they didn't spend enough time with their kids. And what got to me one day was a bloke said, oh, he said, I just thought working and providing for the kids, the discipline, et cetera, that's what I really was my job. If only had someone had told me when I was a young dad that you're never going to get this time again. And he said, now I'm old, I'm dying, and I can't get the time back again. I wish someone had just grabbed me and by the shoulders and when I was young and told me this is way too important to, to postpone or to neglect. Anyway, so that just got me to write a book, actually. So I wrote a book about busy dads not expecting it to, to, to uh, I don't know, I just wrote it out of frustration and it became a bestseller and that turned into the fathering project. Yeah, excellent. Um, a, a couple of big picture questions I want to ask first as we before we get down into a bit more of the details and some of the the suggestions perhaps you have for us. Um, do you think it's a generational thing around the, the concept of what you just described? Fathers going, oh, look, I, I thought it was just I had to provide. My sense is that perhaps dads nowadays, newer dads nowadays, maybe do have more of those conversations and through the work that you have and maybe others um, get that message a bit more. Or is it still quite, you know, sort of foreign for some people? Great question. I think it is. it is changing. Um, and I don't think dads should feel bad that they are providers. I mean, in the history of humankind, people have been out there hunting and hunting for food and bringing it back to, for, to the cave for their family and protecting them from marauding. You know, like they should be proud of that. It's just that, um, well, in fact, if you think about it, until about 100 years ago, dad didn't have to do all the fathering, if you like, because he usually had his brothers around, that is uncles, and grandfathers around. So a, a kid would grow up with lots of father figures. 
pressure wasn't all on dad, but usually now dad's not, you know, you had usually the uncles that live a long way away and grandparents and it's up to dad. But in answer to your question, yeah, it is fantastic to see dads probably not as commonly as you'd think um, taking the job seriously. But here's the problem we found with the fathering project. All they do now is feel guilty. They say, oh, hey, I'm supposed to be a better dad than this. And my partner expects something of me. But what do I do? Yeah. I get up in the morning and what do I do? And I know that as these kids go through life, they are teenagers, et cetera, they're going to be exposed to all sorts of things that maybe they as a dad weren't exposed to. And certainly their dad, like methamphetamine, the ice epidemic, cyberbullying that's really causing kids to take their lives, you know, loss of values, which is, you know, which is a grief to a lot of people. School teachers talk about it all the time. Anyway, so they know the kids have got all these even more risks than kids did 100 years ago. They know they should do something. They don't know what to do. And that's really what the Fathering Project steps in and helps them to understand. Yeah. So how do you start something like that, Bruce, to go, all right, so that's the project. I mean, that's a pretty big <laughs> aim, right, to say, okay, what, what we're wanting to do is as a, as a dad wakes up in the morning, we, we're going to help them know what they can do. How do you actually go about starting to craft something to help dads? Yeah. Well, it is. Like it was not an accident, really. I mean, I just wrote that book and thought that was it, you know, done and dusted. Um, we started a research project because I'm an academic as well, a professor. I run a cancer research team. Um, got together with some people to, to research fathers. The first project was um, dads, what's the effect of drag dads on preventing drug addiction? You know, if a kid's got a good dad who speaks into his life, or her life, what are their chances of reducing their risk of drug addiction? Um, and then we got a grant and got some money and um, had to put it somewhere and it's in the university. And then some business people said, this is terrific. Everyone in Australia should get exposed to this. So it started in Perth and I used to do talks to schools, school dads every night, not every night, probably once a week. That was pretty exhausting. Um, and then we gradually got staff and then um, it, we, we got a branch in Sydney and now it's been funded by the federal government. And basically schools are our main focus. When you say how, every child goes to school. I mean, the, the project is about children. It's not really about dads. It's about improving the future of our children. And it just so happens that dads are very powerful in that to improve their future and very powerful by not doing it and exposing the kids to risk because mums typically do a good job so now we uh, we're rolling out i think we're in over 800 schools already within about three years we'll be in a couple of thousand schools and the way we work just to summarize it is we form a dad's group in a school because um you know it's, it's simple dad walks up with little johnny at the age of four and thinks oh yeah i've done my first day at school thing gets scooped up by the dad's group. The next thing you know, he's coming to a barbecue with a few beers and he's having a video on cyberbullying or how, how you can help your kids with their education. There's a father-child camp out on the school playground. He gets to know the other dads. Uh, he's, you, next, you see him next week at uh, McDonald's. He's on, a, he's on a dad date, which we push very heavily, having dad dates with your kids. Um, you get scooped up 
so that then he's there for like seven years at the primary school and then on to the high school. We do we do work through sporting clubs as well. Like I'm heavily involved in Australian football, so um, you know we inevitably that's part of our dynamic, and we have a lot of uh, close links with the AFL and some with rugby as well. So we use that as a big, dads love sport, of course, it's a great vehicle, but we do work through sporting clubs because 80% of Australian kids play sport at some time. And we work through community community uh, groups, uh, councils and religious organizations, churches uh, in particular. Uh, and we also work through workplaces. Some, you know, workplaces will have a dad's group. Anyway, long-winded answer, but that's how we got started. And that's and it's going, it's going nuts all over the country. Yeah, it's excellent. Just excellent. We're going to be back with Bruce Robinson in a couple of minutes' time as we keep talking about the Fathering Project. Uh, I, I want to ask the difference around uh, some of the questions we should be asking ourselves as dads, as communities. Are there different questions we could ask? How can we do that, in a, as sort of Bruce was alluding to, in a way that's not about you know, adding guilt but about actually asking great questions to move us forward for ourselves and our kids. That's on the way next here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. On 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton. Uh, Professor Bruce Robinson is my guest. Uh, he is heading up the Fathering Project. It's got a whole team that's working with him on that, uh, very much acknowledging it's not just him anymore as he, he goes about this. And uh, as we've heard already, helping especially through schools, but other areas as well. Um, dads help be the best dads, but it is actually about raising the next generation the best way we can. I, I love, Bruce, that you've said, you know, this is a specific target. It's dads that we're focusing on. There is one question I, I wanted to ask. Is the best option for dads to be saying to themselves, look, I need to go and ask myself some choices. How do I want to behave this way? How do I want to do this way? Or is it best for them to just sort of see it modelled a bit like how you've been talking about that, you know, you guys are running the, the camp overs or the, you know, the dad dates or whatever else it might be? Or is there a mix in, in between? What's the best thing for a dad to be doing? Yeah. <clears throat> it's hard to say what's the best for any particular dad because, <clears throat> excuse me, every dad's different. Every dad's situation is different. And a lot of them, uh, of course, won't be living, you know, will be separated. Um, the, the problem with the problem with dads saying, "Oh, it's natural. I'm just going to think about it and do what comes naturally," is that'll be partly determined by whether they've had a good dad or not. So, if you're lucky enough to start off in life with a terrific dad, like I had, you're just way ahead. But so many dads have had awful, awful dads, and they're completely lost. They rely on their partner to sort of tell them how to be a dad. This is where the Fathering Project steps in because the Fathering Project is a university-based secular project. It does a research. It works out what is best practice, what actually works. It's not an opinionated group. It's a research-based best practice group. So I think that's why it's been successful. We can go to a school and talk to a bunch of dads about whatever we want to talk about, time, work-life balance, cyberbullying, how do you bring up a daughter? How do you bring up a son? How do you deal with teenagers and sexuality? What about drug addiction? I mean, all those topics uh, from best practice. And we have experts and, and, and dad's talking about it all. So that's, I think the best way is to plug into the fathering project material and identify whatever question you've got 
and go into it. And I, I just mentioned then separated dads. We have a lot of tips for separated dads that are helpful. Also FIFO dads, dads who fly in, fly out for work. You can't, you can't get it all in your head. It all comes from, you know, best from other men. I mean, we've always lived as a tribe anyway. Men have sat around a campfire giving each other advice on how to hunt, etc. And you know, this is just another one of those uh, one of those things that the fathering project is collecting advice from dads plus experts, and then people getting free access to it. Yeah, which is incredible. Um, a couple of times now, you have mentioned that idea of um, sort of a, a, a collective doing fathering or a collective looking after kids. And and as we know, and as you mentioned too, Bruce, you know, we we live in a culture now which is far more separated, um, much more isolated in terms of having multiple dad figures around. Do you think there's a value in trying to push to get to that stage again in some way, shape or form? Or is it better to say, well, this is the world we're living in. These are the things we're going to try and plug in to, to, to make it sort of happen. Well, I think this is one of the spin-offs of the dad's groups at schools that we didn't really think. We thought dad's groups would be a vehicle for us to help the dads. But what happens is you can imagine you have a camp out in the school playground and the dads, you know, barbecue and they say, yeah, Tom, Dick and Harry, get to know them. What do you do? And then, you know, they discuss fathering because that's what the camp's about. And someone's challenged because he's separated. Someone else has to fly in, fly out. Someone else has got a disabled child, et cetera, et cetera. And so they start talking to each other and someone, you know, not, not long before they find that, you know, Fred's son is just suffering from leukemia and he's got to get down to the hospital and, it's, you know, it's hard during COVID and during work and everything. And so now these blokes start to help each other. You know, so they see Fred and they say, mate, do you, do you need a lift to the hospital or can I do your lawns for you? Or, or just, how you going, mate? I'm going to bring around a bottle of beer. I want to know how you're going. And uh, it's happening automatically. And you can't force it, like, because grandparents and uncles live a long way away, these groups are almost miraculously creating support for dads. And honestly, and these become real mates. I mean, Australian men, we have acquaintances. Oh, yeah, plenty of mates. But when it comes down to it, a lot of them wouldn't even know what's going on in your life. But real, what we call good friends, what's a good friend? Someone who knows what's going on in your life, you feel comfortable telling them, and they actually care. And yeah. do something about it, and that's what these dads groups are generating. Beautiful yeah. to watch. Yeah, it's great. I heard someone uh, use the phrase two AM friends," the, the ones you can ring up at two AM, and they'll they're going to answer and deal with deal deal with whatever with you. I thought that was a a, a nice phrase as well. Uh, in terms of how we connect in, Bruce, you know, maybe my school has something at the moment. Maybe it doesn't. Um, how do I actually get in touch with the Fathering Project and and the resources that you've talked about? The easiest way is just to Google the Fathering Project. It's got a, a strong web presence. And just contact the office and say, look, I'm from a school. We've got a bunch of dads here. I'd be interested in having a dad's group. And then the Fathering Project, you know, makes contact. And theoretically, uh, <clears throat> theoretically, a school could do all this by, you know, you can have a camp out by yourself. The Farming Project provides information on how to do that, what works and what doesn't. Um, there is a, a very small charge to pay for all the videos and stuff that come in because we're going to support our team that, you know, it's pretty labour intensive. Although we've got some government grants, you know, it's a not-for-profit, so 
each school pays a small, I think it's worth, I think it's about one cup of coffee per dad per year or something, but yeah. um, it's pretty easy and straightforward and uh, just make contact through the, through the website. Yeah, it's excellent. Bruce, my sense is um, that, you know, you're somebody who's there to just help people, but you're also on the lookout through all of the work that you've done, whether it's, uh, you know, the academic stuff, whether this fathering thing as well, the fathering project, that what's the next thing that you can actually be helping and looking for? Are there a few things rattling around for you that you think, well, this might be the next fathering thing we should be focusing on at the moment, or I'm seeing this come up. I think this is where we might be heading. Yeah, it doesn't really come from me now that we've got a big research team, but we're helping incarcerated dads, um, just dads of disabled. I went to a very moving book launch last night by one of the Western Australian members of parliament who has a, a child with Cri du Chat syndrome, and he, he wrote a book about his journey. It was opened by the Premier, it was launched by the Premier, Mark McGowan. And it was, you know, these are the sort of, um, in fact, Tony, the, the MP, the author, he and I are going to do a fathering project thing together about how do you care for disabled kids, be they physically or mentally disabled or whatever. Yeah, and yeah, and a lot and dads in in prisons definitely they've been onto us for so trying to help, you know, because they're really um, hurting. Yeah. You know, uh, for for and often they have restraining orders and all sorts of things. Um, we want to do more work in the multicultural space. Um, but really, uh, that takes care of itself in, to some extent because if you have a goal of being in every single school in the country, oh, and by the way, there's an obvious question, do we ever get any blowback because it's gender biased? Yes. Never. Women, we are totally honouring of the role of mothers and we embrace them in this whole project. We never get involved in anything that's in, in conflict. We are a laser-like focus on on father figures. And so, for example, a sole parent mum, we encourage the dads to get around her kids and we give we give her some information on the on the internet that she can hand to the soccer coach that is going to be helpful to her kids. Um, no, we don't, we don't, but we're actually not, we don't actually think of gender so much. What, what we think of is a kid is born and looks out of the cot on their little bed and sees some faces. You know, mum, dad, grandparents, whatever. And um, if that child gets love from everyone and affirmation and all sorts of things that we talk about, they have got a good chance in life. But if one of them, particularly a dad, is off-handed, doesn't look all that interested, then the child says, I'm not worth being, I'm not worth much. It's about, it's about worth, you know. So uh, just to finish that point, if a dad died during the war or in a car accident or about, you know, plane crash, it has nowhere near the negative effect of a, that an absent dad has if the dad could be there but doesn't bother. Yeah, wow. Because in the first instance, he can't be there. But if dad could be there and doesn't bother or when he's there, he's negative, that's worse. It's vastly worth. So we're thinking about a kid and how they engage with someone who is a father figure in their life, usually their dad, but others as well. So, so that's why we don't think about gender in all this. We think about the future of the kids. And yeah. I'll give you a quote. 
John Anderson, former Deputy Prime Minister, has given us a quote, which he's happy to say as many times as he like, as, as we, we need him. The fathering project, because of its power to stop drug addiction, teenage depression, to change values, including respect for women and things, education, bullying, attitude. He said, the fathering project is the most powerful force in Australia at the moment to change the future of our kids. Wow. Wow. That's why we do it. Yeah, so good. What what a recommendation to find out more as well. So as uh, you heard Bruce say, uh, just Google the Fathering Project. There's plenty of resources there. Whether your school's doing that, I'm sure you'd already be agreeing with that, or perhaps your school would like to. Please make sure of it, the Fathering Project. Bruce, we so appreciate your time. Uh, firstly, you know, one for giving us the time today to chat through us, but also all of the incredible time and effort that you've done to you know, keep that next step. Let's look at something else and getting teams around you and, and making sure that you're making a difference. It's a remarkable legacy that you're leaving on so many people's lives as well. So thank you so much for your time. That's it. You're welcome, mate. You just, you just actually identified my operating principle. Uh, when I get asked to do things, the three words you used are how I choose. Can I make a difference? So, for example, I get asked to go on boards and all sorts of things. But if I think someone else can do it, I'm just going to say no. I, I choose things where I feel like I can make a difference. Yeah. And in, 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 in my professional work, cancer, we're, we're inventing new cancer vaccines and stuff because I think I can make a difference. I'm not sure it's going to work or not, but make a difference. And when it comes to fathering, you know, we've set this thing up. It's actually unique in the world because of its penetration into into the dad space um but it's going to make a big difference and that's what every time in the morning i get up and i say well what, what am i going to do today that's the operating principle i absolutely love that well you're certainly doing that as well bruce robinson my guest here on 89.9 the light